1: everybody. This is Sandra Beck and I'm here today with Robin Boyd and Sharon Silver and we're going to talk about summer. You know when kids are in school we get a little bit of reprieve most days. We can navigate our days in a way that we can't when school's out and when school's out all bets are off and I don't know about you guys but school is out for me in three days and I'm biting my nails, going, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, like, uh, you know what's about to hit the fan, because the worst thing we can hear is, I'm bored. I'm bored.
0: There's nothing to do. (laughs)
1: Girls, you've been there. (laughs)
0: been there done that absolutely you know what's always so exciting they they can't wait for the last day of school and you're right it's like two days later and that's when it all starts and because the structure is gone I mean we live by structure we live by um, a certain frame and we're that's a comfort I mean even whether we recognize it or not structure is a comfort and when we're in that structure we feel comfortable and all of a sudden there's no structure. Uh, it, the regular structure is gone. And I think that's kind of what happens is that you need to sort of reassemble um, a different kind of structure for the months that you're off or the weeks. Sometimes it's only a few weeks, but um, yeah. Some yeah moms a few weeks have can to- <laughs> feel like a lifetime.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we're here today with Sharon Silver, parenting expert. Sharon, what do you got for us? Well,
2: you know, Other than come
1: and babysit my kids.
2: Yeah, really. Yeah. no, I've already done that. I've graduated from that. Not doing that anymore. <laughs> um, you know, I think that summer boredom, you're right. It's about we we need to reframe what's going on in summer. We need to reframe mm-hmm. what is this all about? Because mm-hmm. for the most part, what we want to do is <laughs> we want to shut down that whining and that boredom. And we cave in and we say, OK, just one video game, just one movie, just get away from me. So, so there's like a buffer zone that we need to create from the regimented uh, school days to the relaxed summer days. Mm-hmm. Resilience is absolutely something that everybody wants for their children right now. And resilience is taught through an exposure to less perfect circumstances. So when your kids are whining and when they're moaning, that's the moment, that whining and moaning, that's the moment you want to capture. That's where you want to be mindful. That's where you don't want to fix it for them. You want to reframe that and say, that's motivating you to finding something else about yourself. Mm. So you really want to think about, can we shift the definition of boredom from something that kids, that parents need to fix for kids to letting them be bored. And I can hear all the parents listening, screaming right now. Oh, you come be in my house when they're bored. <laughs> yeah, I dare you.
1: Well, but you know what, when I was growing up, we were bored. We lived in the country. There was a lake in the summer. You know, you could go in the lake, you could fish, you could, but we didn't have more than three television stations. We only had one TV in the house for like 10 people. We didn't have a phone. We had to literally walk up the hill to the Christian camp and use their pay phone. And nobody died. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
2: I mean, you know, I, I, I'm a little older than Sandra. And it was the same thing. There were only three television stations. Mm-hmm. They were owned by the parents. I mean, they hold the remote. We were never allowed to yes. touch it. Hmm. Um, my mother said, out, get out. Come back for lunch. Come back for dinner. See ya. Well, that gave us the neighborhood to just play in. But these days we can't do that. So how do we create that same learning opportunity for our children and that freedom within the bounds of safety, because that's always the complaint that I get. Life is not as safe as it was then. And I honor that. And I hear that, but you have to change your mind about what you're thinking here, because you have to realize that if you capture, if you mindfully look at boredom, what you're going to see is a life skill that's unfolding because boredom in the brain creates creativity. That's the, the, the inertia you almost have to go through in order to find creativity. And creativity gives you the opportunity to learn how to listen to yourself. It gives you that peace. When you're searching for that creativity, it gives you that quiet and that peace inside of you that you're going to use for years and years and years as you take the quest to figure out who am I? What do I like?
0: You know what I think is helpful at the beginning of the summer, especially, first of all, some moms have to work all summer. So there is a, a, a different regimen, but it's still a regimen and mm-hmm. may, might be going to a daycare, might be going to camp. But those who have a little more flexibility, I think you have, you have an adjustment as a parent right off the bat because the free time that you had while they were in school is now no longer yours. And I think it's important to sort of frame up the summer Mondays and Tuesdays. Mom needs a couple of hours here or mom on Thursday afternoons always has a meeting with her boss. She needs an hour and a half and blah, blah, blah. Framing that up right at the get-go, I think, helps. It's not going to alleviate the mom, 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 but while you're on the telephone because we've all had that happen. Right. But um, I think in those times when you know mom has to be more focused on the job, it's, it's a time when that creativity, even if they're bored, They are going to do something. And then when you're done with your frame of time that you've sort of given them, then you can have a a half an hour to sit down and say, tell me about what you did. Or tell me about, and you have that undivided attention to that child at that moment or children. And they can't wait to share with you. Right. Um, I had a business at home when my kids were little and there were times that I'd have a a um, mother's helper. There were times that when they were a little bit older, they knew what they could or couldn't do yeah. or they would just send me a note and say going next door to sh-, you know <laughs> Tara's house or whatever and I'd give them a thumbs up. <laughs> but I think I think the the part of the negative behavior comes from not knowing where they are in your life at that moment, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're framing up those times for them, that's a, that's a schedule for them. That's right. Still a schedule and to so be able
2: to, now,
0: now pull back.
2: And because now I'm, I'm really focusing on mindfulness for parents and mindfulness mm. is not that 10 minute hack of sit yeah. and meditate. It isn't mindfulness right. is every moment of every day type of experience. So if you pull back the camera, the view of your child, I love what you said, you need to. Um, give them routine and structure Mm -hmm. now imagine that you're an adult and you are sitting at your desk and in that moment the morning has become very stressful Mm -hmm. you know that you have that moment within the stress and the chaos that's surrounding you to find that inner peace inside of you to think what do I want to do otherwise I'm going to lose it and attack my coworker." okay (laughs) so that moment where you learn that backtrack it to when you were a kid your parents are still busy but now you have freedom and relaxation so they can coexist we can have two things we're feeling at the same time Mm -hmm. and that's a great opportunity yes you're bored but you're also a creative human being my sweet and so what are you going to do with that boredom i used to say to my kids all the time they hated this mom i'm so bored i'm like oh i have two ideas and they're like we know what your two yeah. ideas are go <laughs> count the blades of grass or go count the clouds i said well it'll oh see i go there's laundry
1: to be done i got dishes to be done mm-hmm. I out.
2: yeah you know whatever floats your boat but i yeah. want you to get into that the ability to stretch yourself so for parents they ask me all the time well, how do I stop giving into the video game? How do I stop giving into the movie? You have to stop and think about what is this moment really about. Mm-hmm. This moment, I'm teaching my child: it's fine to be bored. Sit down. Put your back up against the wall. Count the
0: paint. Mm-hmm.
2: It's excellent.
1: Well, and I will say, you know, being the mother of boys and really active boys, my my strategy for this summer is this: I call it like group structured play. Mm -hmm. I've got four or five moms. We all work. Some of us work in and out of the office. Some are hybrid mixes. Mm -hmm. At Wednesday, I'm going to take half a day off and I'm going to take all the boys hiking. They're going to pick them up. We're all going to go down to Vasquez Rocks in a group. And if any of the other moms want to come, we'll just bring a carload of kids. So it's controlled group play. We've got Mm -hmm. beach mom. We've got, you know, my key is to do what my parents did, was just tire them out. And you don't have all these problems. Like mm-hmm. we used to be out in the lake swimming and my mom, we'd be like, we're tired. We're coming in. Nope. You got to stay out there. And I would <laughs> ask her like, mom, why did you do this? She goes, are you kidding me? She goes, if you're in the water all day, you're in bed by seven o'clock. You eat whatever I put in front of you, yeah. <laughs> you know, because realistically think about it when your kids play video games at night, it's because they have the energy mine fall asleep the minute they hit the pillow we just did this thing where I didn't have anything to do on Memorial Day with them and they were bored they were bored they were bored and I said well come to the gym with me and they're like what there was nobody in the gym I have a picture of it I'll post it me Max and Zach 15 12 and 50 We ran on the treadmills and we did a two mile race. Now I can only run a mile and a half. Zachary won. Max said he won because he ran faster. Zachary said he ran faster in the amount of time, but everybody was pooped when they got home. Yeah. 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 Ultimate goal. And I think one of the biggest things that I see with boredom with kids, they're too sedentary. There's not, they're not getting enough physical exercise Uh because when you run your kids down, They don't mind. There's no, I want to stay up till 10, because they're like, I want to stay
2: up till. Yeah. I know. (laughs) There was no way that I could stay up whenever we ran. We we lived in the suburbs, but they were not necessarily full suburbs like they are now. Mm. So if we decided that we wanted to go get some candy, it meant a one-mile walk to the candy Mm -hmm. store and back, and that took several hours because we were slow and we were eating candy, and our parents knew where we were. Yeah, yeah. can't do that today. So we wonder why children are so addicted to the video games. One of the things, if you look at it like the way that I'm starting to pick apart things and look at it from a bigger perspective, what you recognize is that children have the opportunity to completely emotionally distance themselves and relax when they do video games. Yeah. So they're seeking... relaxation moment. They're seeking, I don't want this regimen. I I need time to unwind. I need to be creative. Mm -hmm. So if you take what their need is and fill it outside the video games, then maybe we have more success. Mm -hmm. But we have a real problem with these video games because it's not only getting in the way of communication between family members, it's getting in the way of communication where we're learning about ourselves. Because we are looking for input to come in constantly versus going into ourselves and finding what we need to find for ourselves. Mm -hmm.
1: Now, do you find this also, because I look at both my boys play these role playing team games and they get together with five kids on a Friday night, you know, and everybody knows where they are because they have to coordinate and they have their headsets on and they're, they're, they're playing these team games. Do you find, like, to me, I see the benefit in team building. I see the benefit in cooperation. I see them fight and argue over things and resolve it. So I think there's some benefits to some of these. And this is my big nerd doing this. More often than not, he's not going to run out and shoot a basketball because he's going to trip. You know, it does give, am I wrong in thinking some of this is like a team sport because you've got kids that are interacting? I'm just playing devil's advocate.
2: No, I can't say that it is a team sport. I can't say that it isn't. I would rather see them do those active games with video games and the team sport component because they're too sedentary. I mean, I'm having an issue myself because I'm always here answering parents' questions and coaching and writing. And so my life is too sedentary. And I don't want to see that passed on to the kids. So that would be the one thing um, that I would say. Um, you yeah, know, I mean, they
1: play basketball and volleyball and they play. my kids play ball. all
2: those things, but it yeah. was more for me was to try and tie the video games to what you've already accomplished during the day. In other words, you have to go outside for several hours. You need to do any homework or read a book for several hours. All of that gets done before you're ever allowed to have that paddle in your head. Got it. Got it. Um, now both my children grew up to be tech nerds. So they played video games from the very beginning, and their goal always was to beat the video game and be able to figure out <laughs> what was behind it. Yep. And it was a race to beat the video game. It rewired their brain to the point where that's what they do for a living.
1: Yeah. Um, I can
2: see that with my older one, definitely. And the truth is that we're the generation that's caught between something new that we're learning and our feelings of, of what it used to be, or or well, not. I they was put on the no computer. No
1: I was put on the computer in first grade. So I don't know. Dragger. (laughs) No, but I mean, I I don't know what it's like to exist without technology. I don't know. You know, I remember down at the lake and stuff, you know, when we were little, but I was already doing homework on a computer in first grade because I had, you know, we had dyslexia in our family and it was easier to type than it was to handwrite certain things. So we were actually put on equipment for a specific reason, um,
2: No, I remember when the Mac first came out and my husband had to change something inside the Mac and he called all his friends and there were a bunch of men standing around my husband at the desk. The women were standing in the doorway and I looked at them and I said, they're more concerned about the Mac than they were when I gave birth. Do you see this? (laughs) You know I mean? It was just like, Oh my God. So you kind of have to look at it and say, the exposure that the kids have trumps mm. our uncertainty at this moment, but we still have mm. valuable things we need to pass to our kids oh, sure. to learn about life. And it's not coming through the video games.
1: No, no. And I had some interesting phenomenon with my own kids. Cause we were a big, wee family, you know, we'd like to play we tennis and we yeah. everything in our yeah. living room. Mm-hmm. And my kids went over to friends of ours who had a real tennis court and they knew the game they knew where to go but they didn't have the maneuvering of the body because they hadn't played it and my little one was so frustrated i think i told you the story rob when we went to t-ball we had been playing Wii baseball for like two years Uh, he goes to t-ball and he was so frustrated he didn't hit an immediate home run because see if he could swing the controller with the actuator on the end as a little one, he could hit a home run and the ball would go. And he wasn't the only kid on that T-ball team that was so frustrated. They didn't want to play anymore because it was too hard.
2: Right. Well, you know, I was at a baseball game um, over the weekend for my nephew, and he made it to the playoffs, and we all showed up as a family. My son and I were talking about that, and we were talking about – Everybody, all the kids were talking about the video games that they like to play, but then they had to really stand at their position on the field and they had to Mm -hmm. find their way down inside where they could really focus. So we talked about with the rest of the parents, it was kind of, it's more important to teach your children how to find that focus when they're doing this. That's the goal. As parents, we are our children's emotional coaches. Mm -hmm. And so we have to pull the reins back and we have to say, no, honey, I do know what's best for you. And right now that's not okay. So we're going to structure it this way. I mean, you really just have to sort of look at what it is that you're trying to teach your children. And then, extrapolate that a little bit, expand it Mm -hmm. a little more and say, boredom is actually a developmental achievement for children. We never think about it. We think because we have to hear the whining and we want to shut it down. But if you turn and say, what are you learning here? You're learning how to access your own internal thoughts. You're learning. I mean, I learned as a child that I love to take a book and climb the tree in the backyard, lay down and read the book. To this day, trees you can put me up against any tree and I want to climb it. And I'm 60 years old and I'm going to climb that tree. Um, And I love to read, but I never would have found that out if somebody had constantly filled me up with activities.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, and I think, you know, there's also the, what I see with my kids is they need that mental rest too, Mm -hmm. because both my kids have Kindle's. They both have Chromebooks for school. They go to a STEM school. They use Babel on their phones in, school, in class. You know, the language, they put their headphones in, they do their language repeating. Both of my kids uh-huh. use their iPhones for school. Mm-hmm. They use it for their language thing. So when they're not doing anything, like this was the fun thing, like the last birthday party I had, I blew a stroke because they, I have this beautiful ranch I live on, two acres, with a in-ground pool, a play area to the side, like a kid paradise. And these little you-know-whats were all sitting on the picnic table underneath the awning, because it's the only place that was shade from the sun from their phones. They are all on their phones. So I went out with a basket, and I said, all right, dump them in here, dump them in here, and they all threw their – this was one of my kids' birthday parties. <laughs> I took all their phones away, and it took probably an hour – I had footballs out. I had water toys out. Once they got going, they were gone. Right. But it was like an old car getting started. And then one of the moms called her kid on the phone and I picked up and I said, yeah, I took his phone away. And she's like, well, what if there's an emergency? I'm like, well, we all burn to death. What do you think? I mean, you're, <laughs> you know, you want to watch him get over here and sit and watch him in the pool he's a 14 year old kid like get over it and she did she came and she got him she's like i don't want you taking my phone the phone away from my kid and i'm like well how about if i put it in the bottom of the deep end would that help you know just insanity but the kids needed someone to break the cycle of digital Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to move over to
2: play Mm -hmm. Yeah, and did you see how long it took them to move their brains from digital to play? Yes. And that's the whining and on board, and that's that moment. So if you reframe that and you look at that and you say, okay, so I've made my decision, here's a boundary, and now I'm going to stick with it because I know what's best for you, but I am anticipating and preparing for a full hour. Mom, Mm -hmm. mom, this is horrible. And then it goes away. Mm -hmm. Yes. So as parents, you think that your demand is going to achieve what you want it to achieve instantaneously. You're not in, you're not folding in the emotional expression of their uncomfort, you know?
1: Yeah. I'm yeah the first you know one to admit my kids are tech junkies. you know, you take the phones away, you take the things away, they start to twitch and jerk like they're having the d t s you know they don't know what to do with themselves without a digital device, and it right. does take them sometimes upwards of an hour to detox mm-hmm. enough to be able to shift gears. but I have to admit you guys, I'm the same way. I'm a tech nerd, I program mm-hmm. for a living mm-hmm. i have I'll just say it. I have an Alexa in five different rooms. I can be right here. See a girl sitting over here. <laughs> Alexa, set an alarm for me today at three thirty to end the show. There she goes. I have yeah. one in the kitchen. I've got one in yeah. my bedroom. I've got one in my bathroom. Like I have nine computers in my house. I yeah. have a triple screen. I call myself yeah. iron sand. I have the same setup in my bedroom when I don't feel like getting up and coming downstairs to my <laughs> office.
2: you need to come to my house and rewire it please (laughs) yes
1: when i go to my dad's summer place which is on a lake in upstate new york where we just got wi-fi and it has no real television and there's nothing for miles but cornfields four days girls four days it takes me to come down off of Mm -hmm. texan Mm -hmm. being i'm okay to go in the canoe and leave my phone Right. I cannot go in the canoe and leave my phone. I have my water Ziploc bag that I hang around my neck because heaven forbid I missed something out on the water four days. I clocked it. I'm going to do it again this year. Cause I think every year it gets
2: longer as we get older. Well, I think that, you know, you bring a really good point to this conversation is it took you four days to calm down and we need to be more empathetic with our children because that is it. What it is, is that they're looking for that immediacy, that rush mm-hmm. and and the, these things, nature and playing outside does not give you the rush right away. And so you have to have empathy and say, I have to have you learn this. Now, I remember that in the beginning with my kids, one of the things that they hated to do was put their phones down, put their games down and go for a hike or go out into the world. But I noticed that because we insisted that they go with us on the hike and we're going up into the mountains and we're going to take a long walk or we're going to the beach, that that's what both of them truly appreciate. And that is how they find their calm now as as adults Mm -hmm. so remember that you're actually planting seeds by showing your children go outside i don't care if you lay down on the grass for three hours and look at this take a nap but that's what you're going to do yeah and there is going to be whining but you have to look at the bigger picture and say what is it that i really want my child to understand there's another part of all of this. And that is an article that I just wrote about swimming. And what my goal was, was I know that I've been to a pool and I know you guys have been there too, where parents sit down, they've got their cocktail, they've got their phone and they're watching the children play. And a lot of dialogue is occurring from across the pool. Slow down. Don't run. I told right. you, do you want a time out? How many times have I told you? It's a waste of time. Mm -hmm. It's a total waste of time. And in the pool environment where it could be potentially hazardous, Mm -hmm. you have to think about what is it that you really want to achieve here? Mm -hmm. So if you are proactive, hence the name of my business, which is proactive parenting, what you want to do is you want to teach your children what the rules of the pool are Mm -hmm. proactively. And you don't just do that by giving them lectures. You do that by showing them physically and creating muscle memory, especially in little kids. So you see a kid who's running around the edge of the pool and you want to grab him and say, slow down. Don't you, you know, he could sl- it's slip and We've all seen it. Yeah. But the one word, or you scream, no, but the one word parents don't use is
1: freeze.
2: <laughs>
1: Depending on what part of the country, People might put their hands up, stand up, and go. Oh, I'm
2: gonna... I know. I grew up on the East Coast, so I do know. But but the mm-hmm. idea is that you tell your children this is not the freeze game. If you ever hear mommy say freeze, what mm-hmm. you need to know is that I see something you do not, and you are literally to freeze in your spot.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah?
2: Mm-hmm. Now you do that by teaching your children what that means. You put them in the pool, and you say for five minutes you're going to be listening for me saying freeze. And every once in a while, not at the same time, you say freezing, you wait to see that they get it. And that could yeah. save their life. Sure.
1: Well, yeah. and it also means the lifeguard won't kill them because I was a lifeguard for many years from high school and then through college. And what I found was many, and I say this because if you're a parent listening today and you do this, like, just think we all know there's parents that come to the pool area like that because it's free babysitting. It's their time to talk to their friends. It's their time to talk. In my days, we didn't have the phone, but it was the same thing. You got the moms get over in the coffee clutch, and then the kids are running wild. It's up the lifeguard to, uh, yeah. to police them, which is why they give you a whistle. I mean, yeah, you know, but I use the whistle with my kids. Like, I will go <laughs> really quickly, and they respond because they're trained that way. Right. Make no mistake that all of these things are about training your kid how to respond to a situation, not react. And I want to talk a little bit about, because Sharon, you helped me understand the difference Mm -hmm. between responding and not reacting. I actually, every time I mention those two words together, I say, Sharon Silver, proactive parenting, (laughs) respond, (laughs) not react, get down and go. Because you trained me, you programmed me, and I got it.
2: (laughs) Well, so Sandra, tell me what your understanding is of the difference between the two.
1: Okay. Reacting is, I'm going to kick your butt into next week and blow up. Responding is to think to myself, okay, he just got out of school. He might be hungry. I'm going to give him the opportunity to try again, which you also taught me. Yes, try again. Okay, try again. I let him try again. And we try to problem solve together. And I try to understand when I'm able to respond. I try to understand where they're coming from, meet them there and help them through. Right. Because reacting doesn't solve anything. It just means I'm, I'm reacting to whatever it is. And I might be right. I might be wrong. Who knows? It's just a knee jerk thing. But when I respond, I also feel like I have better participation with my kid and I have a better command of the situation. I won't say control, but I'll say I have a better command of the right. situation of leading it to a more positive outcome.
0: Well, right. Oh, go ahead, Robin. I, I just was going to say, I think that also puts some of the onus back on the child to be able to uh, be make a decision and make a better decision. Yeah. That's where the responding is so different and and is essential. I think so many times all they hear is blah 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 in the background. They don't hear words or constructive uh, advice or even help. They are just hearing blah, 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 because we just babble out of knee-jerk reactions. And I think whatever we say, we have to not only make it valuable to them, but we have to put some of that onus... I, you I bet you've had a hard day. What, what should we do right now? Should we sit down and eat or should we sit down and uh, just have a break or whatever and, and finite their, depending on their age, of course, right. finite what happens next and then work through. I mean, right. that's what I used to have to do um, is just kind of give them narrower choices. So they aren't in a vast, um, Lost. Out of control. Most of the time, right. they're out of control. Right. Yeah.
2: So in the same uh, framework or style of pulling things apart, think about what when you're reacting, you're reacting based on what's coming into your mind, what's good for mm-hmm. you, the fact that you've yeah. been interrupted, the fact that you're not able right. to do what it is you wanted to do. Um, so you even if you try really hard, because there's a lot of parents that think that mindfulness is like, I'm just going to swallow my anger and I'm going to be really calm here. Mm-hmm. Oh, Peter, are you hungry? Is that what the problem is? Um that is not responding <laughs> no, no. So so you want to really you go inside, you say, number one, who taught me to parent this way? Why am I motivated to react to my child even when my child is learning?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, responding sends a message to your child just by what it is that you're saying that they're heard. Because you're immediately saying, both of you said the same thing. Are you hungry? Yes. Oh, that involves me. That doesn't involve you. That involves mm-hmm. me. Hey, I'm okay. going to listen. So there's a buy-in there. And you both got that. And that's really true. So responding is what you put forth first so you can unlock the child's ears. And they truly feel that they're heard. Mm-hmm. So let's take that a little further and say, responding is can also be, I I understand that you got really upset when that happened. I want you to know I got really upset too. And I really need a hug right now before I can say anything else. Mm -hmm. So you own it. And the child goes, oh, even mom, Mm -hmm. because mom's right about everything in this world. Mom needed a hug. I needed a hug too. Mm -hmm. You know, it's okay. So you want to connect. So there are four points that I'm now taking out into the world and speaking and talking corporations and moms groups and places. There are four things that I think parents can really use for mindfulness. One is to release. You want to release your um, – here, one second here. Let me make sure that I'm not double talking here. We want to release what it is that you're feeling. You do that by your breath. You do that by stopping because every parent in the entire world absolutely knows when they're about to react. We can say it comes out of our mouth, but we can feel our heart pounding. We can feel that our breath is just not there for us. We're thinking about what we're going to say next, not what's going on with the child. I mean, so it goes on and on and on. When you are releasing, you just want to put your hand over your mouth. If you have to leave (laughs) the room, say, I'm taking a time out, whatever it is you need to do, just stop but the other thing you need to do is you need to think and become aware of what it is that you are actually thinking as you're correcting behavior, because that's your key to figure out your reaction. What am I thinking? Am I thinking, Oh, I'm in public. I better get this under control or I'm really, i people are going to think I'm not a good parent. Mm-hmm. Boom. A reaction. Okay. So think about what is it that you are thinking? Okay. Then think about, well, what did my family of origin have? How did they parent me? Was there harshness, intensity? Because that's what my bottom line foundational psychological profile is that you shut down behavior by reacting. Mm-hmm. Okay? I love Dr. Shafali and she says, "Are you parenting from um, from your childhood wound or are you addressing your own child's needs? So you want to pull that apart if you can. Wow. Yeah, because basically what happens is your wound is created by the mere fact that you were offended as a child in this circumstance. Personally, I could tell my own story. I had a thing with my kids when they were teenagers that I would, um, they used the wrong tone of voice with me, and I was all over them. And it was a trigger that I couldn't shake until I pulled it apart. I realized that I got yelled at for having an attitude, too. And Mm -hmm. so I was offended as a child by the way I was treated. No one would listen to what I had to say. I was just shut down. I came from an era where children were to be seen and not heard, period. So my offense became my soft spot. Mm -hmm. My offense as a child became my wound. That wound was triggered by my children so I could heal it. So it wasn't something to shut down for me. It was something to be aware of. And once I said, "Ooh, that's actually my wound. Sorry. I don't need to yell at you about that. I'll deal with that personally. I was more able to respond. Okay. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that's really powerful when you stop and think about it. I mean, how many parents who uh, were traumatized by a dog, let's say, when, in their childhood, and um, I have a family member who was that very same way and uh, with cats, and the minute they would walk into our house, <gasps> they would just react so vehemently every time the dog or the cat would come near the child yeah. as a toddler that, of course, that child was growing up fearful of animals, not able to handle it. I mean that's a simple way, but thinking of what you're saying, uh that's so much. There's so much more to what you've just said. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's like
1: you know, I think of like I'm going to speak for every middle child in a big family. Whenever my whenever I feel that I'm forgotten, lost in the mix, not heard or not important. I can feel those reactions come up with my teenagers. Like, you know how teenagers are like the world revolves around them. Everything Mm -hmm. affects them, whatever. Mm -hmm. So that like fires up my own hot button of being lost in the mix somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. hey, I matter. Hey, I'm here. And I find myself actually saying those words to my kids. Like, hey, when you ate all the blueberries, like a whole big tub of them, $8 worth. You forgot that the rest of us were there, and then my older one will be like, Yeah, you know, I don't really like blueberries that much. I'm like, I <laughs> do! what I do! And you ate all! And you're just like your uncles
2: who ate everything. Yeah, birds. I know. And and except I, for, you know, I learned the lesson again this weekend. Sometimes parents just don't have a vote. Parents don't. You know, <laughs> yeah. We just.
1: It just doesn't happen. <laughs> but actually, my reaction to that was not about the blueberries. I mean, it's stupid. I can go down this corner and buy some more blueberries. And normally my kids are pretty thoughtful. So it wasn't about that. It was all about me being a 10 year old girl at the dinner table and my brothers hoovering through everything. And if My sister and I didn't get our hands in there. It was gone and gone right. forever. Cause we were not a big wealthy city family we got one bag of Oreos for like weeks.
2: Yeah. I think that if parents, if people could really start taking responsibility, this is where I believe once again, mindfulness is not a ten minute hack. This is an everyday moment. So if you have a reaction to something, own it, be a grown-up. And, well, and say, ask yourself what's going on here. Like yeah, that's the one
1: thing that right. you just lit up in me to go if I'm really upset about something. To take a minute and go, okay, why am I really upset?
2: Yeah. Right. What is this? And if you don't know how to access that, say, what does it remind me of? Okay. If you do not introduce yourself to yourself, if you didn't get that opportunity as a child through boredom, which is what we're talking Mm -hmm. about, then Mm. you have the habit of being able to go in and have yourself, your spirit, your higher self, whatever you call it, the little voice on your shoulder say, uh, let me just remind you what happened when you were five. In case you yeah. forget, here's the video. You know, that does happen. We have that. Each and every one of us has experienced mm-hmm. that. Where all of a sudden you go, why? And a few minutes later, you got a picture in your mind telling you the story of why. Yeah. 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 But if you don't allow your children to access and learn how to do that, and it comes from boredom, then as an adult, they're not going to know, why did I react? Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's number one. And I think that that's an important connection to the story that we're talking about today, which is boredom. Well, and I think it's
1: important to talk to your kids about it because, mm-hmm. you know, Sharon, a couple of years ago, we did a show, you and I, and I remember this because I had a conversation with my kids after about yelling. Like they're both yellers and my mom and my sister were yellers, the rest of us weren't. So yelling to me causes me to freeze. I don't think about anything. I don't do anything. I get afraid and I just stop like a pillar of salt. And so my teenager at the time, or a little young teenager, 13, 14, I said, look, when you yell at me like that, first of all, I don't like it. But second of all, you're never going to get what you want because I just freeze. Grandma did that, aunt, you know, so-and-so did that, and it doesn't work for me, and this is why, so if you're going to yell at me, know that you're never going to get your way, you're never going to get anything, but if you talk to me in a way that I can listen to you, it'll help, Um, and that really mm -hmm. did help, that really did, because I explained to them why, because he's like, are you even listening to me, and I'm like... (sighs) Mm -hmm.
2: children need to understand that they're going to learn a lot about themselves by seeing the different shades of who you are. And when you are able to say the truth of who you are, which is another enormous part of being mindful, is that every parent has the right to say, you know what? That does not work for me. Mm
0: -hmm. You know,
2: that really, when you do that, this is what happens to me. And that's where I learned, try again. Mm
0: -hmm. Try
2: again, darling. You know what happens to me when you shout at me. So try again. So you use your mindful parenting authority. You're stopping. You're giving your boundary. You're giving the child an opportunity to learn and mm-hmm. to have a do-over, which, you know, who, who lets kids have do-overs
0: these days? And I think that's so important because you're not severing the, the right. issue at all. Right. You are reframing the issue to be readdressed in a different way. And I Correct. love that. I Correct. love that. Well, yeah, it I'm does gonna... take time. Like, let's
2: mm-hmm. be honest, this type of parenting takes more time. Mm-hmm. It does, but it takes more time in the beginning yes. and it does not take more time at the end. It does not. Mm-hmm. When you parent this way, you're not dragging it through for months and years. You're not having to re-correct or re-correct. Right. You're also stopping yourself from having uh, emotional exhaustion because mm-hmm. you do simply sit back and go, what would I say here?
0: Mm-hmm. What am I
2: going to say? You want your children to do what I call, and this one I name myself, pull it through the brain. (laughs) When I ask you a question, I want you to think. That has many wonderful um, side effects. Number one, it moves the brain from being emotional and reacting impulsively to having to do some thinking. When they answer the question that you ask them, you get an opportunity to see how do they view this? What mm-hmm. is their reality? What life skill do I need to teach them? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we need to stop trying to shut down and have quick fixes for parenting mm-hmm. because we're forming a human being here. Mm-hmm. But it is not as exhausting as you think. It's mm-hmm. actually more energizing because when you see your kids changing and you witness their aha moment, you go, I am so good.
1: But you also get insight like another one that I've been doing lately with my older teen he's 16 or going to be 16 is sometimes I'll go oh no what happened because he'll come home and he'll have all this like rage ready to beat on his brother or go punch something at the gym and he's making a sandwich and kind of slamming things and I'll walk in and I'll just stand there and he'll look at me and I'll go oh what happened mm. and just that little gentle oh what happened yeah. He will, and he's not a talker. He will start telling me, "Well, the girl said this to me, and she made fun of me, and I thought da 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 da." da. And if you just listen, mm-hmm. you actually get to to know your kid because mm-hmm. one of the things girls I've noticed over time is a lot of parents don't know their own kid.
0: Yeah. Oh, so true. So true. It is.
2: And, and I, here's a real quick. I just want to to give you a quick tip about getting kids to talk. Hmm. Michael Gurian has done a great deal of research about the difference between female and male brains and the wiring. And one of the things that they said, which I love, and it works so well, if you want a boy to listen to you, stand beside him and do something else with him. Yeah. If you want a girl to talk to you, put a chair directly in front of her, look her in her eyes and go, talk to me, babe. Mm-hmm, yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have had
1: so many great Super Mario conversations with my younger one because yeah. he really doesn't like that one-on-one I think it's right. too intense for him. But if I sit on the couch next to him while he's playing Super Mario and I'm flipping through a magazine, right? We can have the mm-hmm. most intense magazine or mm-hmm. intense conversation. conversation. Yeah. yeah. I'm not even looking at the magazine. I'm concentrating on what he's saying and mm-hmm. he's playing Super Mario and it's like there's a defense down too.
2: Yeah. And for males and males, for dads and sons, go out and play some basketball because mm-hmm. males need that physicality to be able to release the emotionality. Mm. So you want to you know, go out and do something and then it, it just comes rolling out.
0: In you know? my day, it was a drive in the car. I would say you know what I need help I didn't need help (laughs) I would say I need help because that's going to be a couple of bags worth and I would make sure there was a detour oh you know what that road I remember there was something on that road I got to go around here I would take a detour I'd be in the car for an hour and a half but boy oh boy would those guts spill and you hear everything because they're you know it's a little different now of course they have the, the devices in the car now but that was my thing and that was my way of getting the kids to talk because there wasn't any other uh stimuli around them it was just yeah i mean i think i think
2: sandra's idea of a basket when you get in the, right. the phone not until we yeah. get home sorry we, yeah. this is our yeah. Time. Yeah. i don't care if you sit and say nothing yeah then we've had a silent yeah. ride and that's just fine with me but that's this is right,
0: our, that's, you know. right. Yeah. that's right yeah i used so to do I that
2: with like my high schooler
1: <laughs> oh go ahead i'm gonna buzz in for the pro of devices now because you know yeah, we yeah are to be the pro of these devices I find and we have about five minutes left to the end of the show, ladies, that when my boys are really struggling with something that they want to talk to me about and they're afraid, they can text me. Mm-hmm. And I will get a text at one o'clock in the morning or twelve thirty at night and I roll over like, Oh, here we go. And like, mom, this I need to talk to you. And then I'll say, Do you want me to come in your room? No. Okay, shoot. And then they'll talk and there's a something about, I don't know what it is, Sharon, maybe you can identify it, but there is a safety there that they can tell me something and not see my face, not watch me react, or just Uh know that they're at the other end of the device. And, you know, as a parent, I will oftentimes text my kid if I think something's wrong and go, are you okay? Are you Uh okay? Okay. Right. And I try to put it in a language like their friend would. Because at that point, I'm trying to engage them. I'm not trying to be the parent at that right, time. Right. I'm just trying right. to get them to open up to me. Yeah,
2: Well, texting is neutral. It's emotion-free. And so they're finding some safety in that. But mm-hmm. people who are dealing with emotions like me and psychologists and therapists, I'm a little nervous about that. Mm-hmm. Because what that means is that we're making our emotions. There's a benefit and there's an of something that I think we haven't really considered yet. The benefit is that we can address our emotions without fear because we're used to being on a text and we're used to saying, I'm angry and this happens. But without having a connection to that emotion, what else are we missing? Because those connections, what's emoting inside of us, that's the red flag that sends up the signal we need to pay attention.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: So there is no taking away, in my opinion, the emotionality that comes with feelings. Mm -hmm. Text will give us a buffer zone, but we have to really watch that buffer zone because that's not the truth. The truth is when I say I'm mad, I'm mad. When I'm sad, I'm really sad. Kids are missing that connection. Mm. They go out, they have interviews with with adults in jobs, they're trying to have relationships, and if they can't connect, how are they going to find joy? How are they going to find happiness? How are they going to find love? But what about kids, like what about
1: parents and kids on the spectrum, like the parents that have Asperger's or the kids that have those, you know, my kids find texting a lot of times easier or the precursor to having a conversation.
2: Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Number one, it is a a device that's perfect for those that have issues that they need to communicate that way. It's perfect. The other thing is as long as you have the backup conversations. Right. You know, that's that's my concern. My concern is that there is the acceptance of the text that explains the situation. There's no follow-up where we have one-on-one. They've got to come hand in hand.
0: I was going to ask ask if you thought it was worth saying, thank you so much for, for sharing this with me. Can we follow up on this tomorrow after after track or whatever right. and then that person that one-on-one because then the barrier is down right. they know you know the deal right. they know you know the circumstance so there's no um uh premise that they have to feel embarrassed well about. there's the worst the cat's out of the bag is how i look yeah, at yeah it. that's you it. Know, the cat's out of the bag the worst has
1: happened i know about whatever it is yeah and because then you can bring it up in the car but if you right some kids or parents, (laughs) I'm saying on behalf of my family, have a really hard time identifying emotions. I have like three emotions. And, you know, I had a therapist go through a chart and explain to me all the different colors on the rainbow that I don't see. And then I have two kids who are like colorblind or emotion blind like I am. So it's hard. You know, some families, it's hard to do this stuff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you have kids that really see the world Happy, sad, and mad, which is really all that I had. I'm either happy, I could identify that. I'm either sad, I could identify that, or mad. And, you know, some of us are made that way. So, all these emotions that you guys talk about, not everybody feels the full range of it. Not everybody was raised in an environment that allowed those. So, I don't know if they were squashed down or they never showed up to begin with. Yeah. And I look at my kids, and one of the hardest things I have with my boys is to. Find the emotion with them because they're very logical. They're very technical. They're both computer nerds and they can identify it. But I don't, I don't know how to, to connect that feeling
2: component.
1: Okay. I got a
2: real good tip for you. The thing that would probably help here is introduce to yourself and to your sons the concept of feeling two things at once and start stretching them a little bit to see, if I'm mad, am I furious and sad at the same time? Am I angry and um, snarky? What am I feeling? Because it's never just one. So start peeling the layers of an onion and say, you know, the possibility exists that I'm feeling two things at once. I need to look at that for myself so I can get used to that. But when I am uh, angry, because someone has said something to me that wasn't kind. I feel defensive. I feel sad. I feel um, like I'm not capable of being in this relationship because I didn't spot it. I had my mouth run wild. Um, You know, so I feel many different things. And the other thing I feel is I have this incredible need to resolve it in order to come back to peace. So that's a feeling too. I get really uncomfortable until things are resolved. So I had to look at that over the weekend and say, where did I learn to be so uncomfortable with non things that haven't been resolved? I found where it came from. It was a dangerous thing for me as a child not to resolve things and shut them down right now. If I didn't, I was hit. Okay, so that barrier, first of all, it was, it was like I was inside a tub with a shower curtain around me. So if you can't find those feelings, say, okay, I'm inside a bathtub. i got the shower curtain around me. What's preventing me from pulling the curtain open a little bit and peeking through? It's it's a journey. It's a okay.
1: journey. Okay. I need to wrap us up. Uh, we've got Sharon Silver at ProactiveParenting.net, Robin Boyd, and Sandra Beck. This has been a great episode, you guys. I can't wait for it to air, and I can't wait for us all to come back together. Thank you for having
2: me and thank you for visiting Proactive Parenting.
0: Thanks for spending time with us today on Military Mom Talk Radio. We've got more than 200 episodes available to you anytime on iTunes or at our website, militarymomtalkradio.com. Find us on Facebook or Twitter. We look forward to another great conversation with you on Military Mom Talk Radio.